everybody. Welcome to another episode of Space Flicks. This is the podcast where we review a movie and decide if it's worth the cost of beaming out to a lonely astronaut in the far reaches of space. Uh, today we're talking about The French Dispatch, the latest film written and directed by Wes Anderson. And this movie is starring about a billion people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not even going to... So just hold see, on just... to your butts because we're going to name them all right now. No, we're not. Okay. No, we're not. Okay, I'm going to name three of them at random. Okay. <laughs> okay. Benicio Del Toro. That's a good one. Tilda Swinton. Quality. And Bill Murray. Yep. Those are three humans and in many, this movie. Many, many more. We'll, we'll, we'll sprinkle the other names in throughout the conversation as, right. as, the, as we go. If you haven't seen The um, French Dispatch, it'll be like a fun surprise when we name them. You'll yeah. be like, oh, they're in this Did movie Did you know too? this person was in it and this person too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, so anyway, why don't you kick things off, Adam? Give us the synopsis. A love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. There you have it. All right. There you have it. Yep. Um, So, I guess, as always, let's start expectations. What were you hoping slash... uh, Hoping for slash expecting from the French Dispatch, Adam. Well, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. I, I just generally like his movies. Uh, and so that was sort of the baseline. I was like, I'm going to like it. Um, mm-hmm. The thing that uh, I wasn't sure about, because I knew this was sort of an anthology movie where it's like a bunch of different stories that may or may not have anything to do with one another directly. And so mm-hmm. I was like, should I just sort of buckle up for like a bunch of short films, basically? Right. And that should be sort of like the ceiling that I would sort of expect from this. And that, so that's sort of how I went into it. My expectations mm-hmm. were sort of like, it's going to be three or something like tight little films. And, um, you know, it'll be sort of a, a lesser work uh, than maybe some mm. of his his work that I think maybe is more like, deeper and more epic but it'll be fine because i'm still in good hands mm-hmm. so interesting so what you're saying it sounds like as a premise you think that a an anthology a series of short films just sort of is inherently not as uh strong a piece of art as a full-length film is that right well, I don't think that that's like an absolute rule. Like a, like right. for example, I was say, counterpoint feels like Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Exactly. Which, yeah, which I loved, right? Which I thought was tremendous. Yeah. So, like, I don't think that it is a hard limit on the ceiling of the film, but just generally, um, less likely. I just feel yeah. like you know you just don't have as much time to you know build momentum, like to get really into like a really deep understanding of the characters. Everything's going to have to be quicker and a little more superficial probably, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that's, that's sort of why I made that assumption, but you know, I'm yeah, certainly aware that it doesn't have to be unsatisfying or, or superficial or if not quicker than just simpler. Right. Right. Like for a short film to be. yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I think I felt similarly. I was not really expecting... This certainly looked like a, you know, I'm with you and that I 
at least like every Wes Anderson film. I don't think he has made one that I disliked. Right. Um, sort of like the Coen brothers. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I think if I would call him even probably more consistent than the Coen brothers, um, because they've had some that, you know, intolerable cruelty and uh, lady killers come to mind as like, were those even good? <laughs> right. Know, um, but, uh, but Wes Anderson, I think they're all at least good. Yeah. Um, this one, like you though, I expected to be towards the lower end. I don't know if it was, I don't know if I explicitly had the thought that, oh, because it looks like an anthology kind of film, that's why I expected to be towards the lower end. Um, it probably is, but it might have been more subconscious on my part. But it could have also just been the sheer size of the cast and mm-hmm. how um, sprawling it looked from the trailer. Because yeah. I did watch the trailer. And it's sort of like with a cast so big and diverse. And they're clearly being, even if I didn't necessarily know that it was going to be these very self-contained, you know, stories within a story mm-hmm. um it, it seemed very clear there were very disparate storylines at the very least from mm-hmm. the trailer mm-hmm. and with that much going on um yeah i think i probably came in a little skeptical that any anything in the movie was going to really sink its teeth into me like it was all going to be sort of surface level you know all aesthetics and style and mm-hmm. what do you call it dollhouse is that is that a term that was coined specifically to describe Wes Anderson's style? Oh, maybe. It, yes. it, feels, it feels like it. Right. Um, uh, which, to be clear, if that's what it was, I still figured I would still find it very enjoyable right. and watchable and, and worthwhile. Um, but that was my expectation. So now that we've agreed on that, what was your... Did, was the movie about what you expected? Was it better, worse, different? What was your actual initial impression of it well, after it finished? I wasn't sure initially. I mean, I knew I threw out the number a moment ago of three. Uh, how many total pieces were in the film? Was it four, including the Owen Wilson one at the beginning? I feel like it was. Um, it was either four or five, because... Definitely Owen Wilson's was a sort of travel-y thing. Well, let's look at the cast, and we can probably quickly figure out, right? So there was the Owen Wilson one. That's one. There was yep. the Benicio del Toro one. That's two. There was the Francis McDormand one. That's three. Um, and Jeffrey Wright. Three. There was the Jeffrey Wright one. And then okay, the, ob- and then the it, obituary. Right? There's like five P, you know. So the way the film is sort of structured, they sort of structure it as like this issue of the French dispatch mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. sort of five pieces, right? There's yeah, like the, it's the little travel log, right? The Owen Wilson on the town type thing. The, um, Tilda Swinton sort of, um, kind of like art history piece, the Francis McDormand sort of political piece and the mm-hmm. Jeffrey Wright, um, uh, <laughs> ostensibly a culinary <laughs> piece. Right. Yes. And then finally the obituary. Right. Those are sort of the five bits. Um, And so I wasn't sure from the trailer. I hadn't. And one of the things. So as a comparison point for specifically Wes Anderson movies, um, I had seen, you know, back when it came out, Rushmore. And that was a very sort of formative movie for me. And so when the Royal Tenenbaums was coming out, uh, I was very, very excited for it. And I hadn't developed the sort of movie going 
discipline that I have now, meaning specifically, I just read everything I could about it before Mm -hmm. seeing the movie, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a really like problematic viewing experience for me because I knew everything that was going to happen in the film, right? Which is like, I think I was, I didn't have that kind of joy that a lot of people had watching the Royal Tenenbaums. It was always like a little bit spoiled for me. And I was really mad Mm -hmm. at myself. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of when I made a change in my life to like, (laughs) like, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to. So some good came of it then. Yeah. I'm just not going to read all this stuff about movies before I see them. I'll have the experience first and then I can read whatever I want after that. So with this movie, I so because with Wes Anderson specifically, I learned my lesson many, many years ago. Like I didn't read all that much about this film, really anything other than I saw the trailer and I was like, like you called out a lot of actors, a lot of different like um, moments in the trailer that are like these are clearly sort of like different styles or different eras or different like casts of characters that are being lumped together. I wasn't sure how many little anthology entries were going to be in this. I was like, is it going to be like eight different things? Right. Yeah. It sure seemed like a lot. Right. Um, and so I wasn't quite sure going in exiting and it's like, Oh, okay. There's really like a little palate cleanser. And then there's like three major stories that you're going to hear. And then another Mm -hmm. little sort of like grace note at the end. Um, and so, uh, with, with having a little bit more time, this is an hour and 47 minute movie, right? So each one of these Mm -hmm. like segments, the major segments is probably, you know, I would guess about 30 minutes. I didn't time them. Um, and I felt like they were each like very satisfying and I felt, Mm -hmm. um, really intrigued by the characters. I was, there was a lot, a lot to laugh at, right? like in a good way. Um, yeah. And I just, and then the whole sort of tone of like the French dispatch and the way Murray runs the magazine and the way he loves his writers. I just was very touched by it. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it was just, a, he's, yeah, he's very likable, uh, editor. Right. Tell the foreman to buy more paper. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we're not yeah. cutting anything. Um, just a really, um, uh, j- j- there's just a tremendous fondness in the film um, that Murray had, that Murray sort of like exudes for writing and for like the difficulty and the creative process of it and how he's so eager to like nurture that. It just makes you really, I, I-, I don't know, it just is a very, um, I- I'm very nostalgic for a world like that. And, uh, and so it was a very, it was a great hang, great hang. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I I quite enjoyed it. I mean, I guess I will say that in the end, I felt like my expectations weren't far off from reality. Mm-hmm. I would say this is, you know, if I were to rank all of Wes Anderson's movies in terms of how much I like them, this is probably not in the top tier. Um, you know, whether it's in the top half or bottom half, I'm not sure, but it doesn't even really tell you much because, because I've already said his consistency is really high. So, right. you know, you could probably go to the bottom of the list and then compare a movie like to one of the movies in the top half of the list. And I'd be like, I like those close to the same actually. Right. <laughs> right. For sure. It's very, very minor differences between them. Um, so 
so like this t- certainly isn't up there for me with with some of his best, mm-hmm. like like in his top three, for example. But it's just it's just more great Wes Anderson, right? right. Um, I heard a good quote that was like, "This isn't necessarily the best Wes Anderson film, but it is the most Wes Anderson film," <laughs> and I think that kind of sums it up really well. Yeah, I mean, in, in in more ways than one, in at least two ways, right? It's like. This movie is a lot. We've already mentioned the huge cast. Um, the fact that it's three, it's kind of like three mini Wes Anderson films, right? right? Packed into one, just regular length Wes Anderson film. So in that sense, it's just a lot of kind of content, a lot of story, a lot of characters, really condensed, really economically sort of shared with you, the audience. Um, but also the most Wes Anderson, like, like if you could sort of, distill everything that it is to be a Wes Anderson movie mm-hmm. and call it, you know, Wes Anderson. It's like the most that, right? Mm-hmm. The most Wes Anderson of all his movies. I don't know I don't know if that is like a hundred percent true, but it feels like it's up there, right? I mean, um this movie felt to me, uh, while I was watching it, like that thing he's known for of the really meticulously composed, you know, frame Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just felt more packed with that than any other of his movies to me. Yeah. It felt like it, it really felt like almost like literally every frame, right? Like, whereas the typical Wes Anderson movie feels like, you know, 90% composed and 10% of just sort of like, you know, pragmatic, like get from A to B. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was like close to 100% composed to me. Yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, and I really liked that. I found it really, I mean, as with so many of his films, I just find it such a pleasure, a unique kind of pleasure to watch his films because of the, because of the aesthetic, you know, like the work that's gone into presenting these like beautiful, almost like paintings to you. Right. Right. Um, so much work went into making this image look like this, into making this moment feel like this, um, down to the, you know, not just the, the visuals, of course, also the music and mm-hmm. the sound design and also just the performances. They're clearly very, they're, they're almost like, I, I almost feel like the word choreographed would be appropriate for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Of like the rhythm of how you're saying it, what you're, the, the, your body language down to like the angles mm-hmm. <laughs> of your, of your neck or your, your joints or things like that. Everything is so composed. So, um, this movie was just filled with that stuff and I really loved it. Um, I, I, I don't think, I, I do think though that the suspicion we both had was accurate, um, about because these are shorter stories. I definitely didn't get the, the depth or the, the emotional attachment to any of the characters in the same way I, I did in say like the Royal Tenenbaums, for example, or even Rushmore. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, they were all, it, it's a, it's a movie I enjoyed very much from a distance and, um, but, but that doesn't change the fact that I enjoyed it. So I guess that pretty much sums up my, my feelings about the French dispatch. Yeah. I would totally agree that it's incredibly visually dense like to the mm-hmm. point where I kind of gave up maybe in the first third of the film where I was like, 
I'm trying desperately to like register everything mm. and I'm <laughs> not succeeding. Right. Like yeah, it's just, yeah. it's too fast. Right. And so yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'm only going to get like a fraction of what's happening on the screen right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause I'd like, I just cannot process it fast enough and that's okay. I'm going to just enjoy totally. what I, what I can. Right. And I don't feel like I have always had, that feeling with every Wes Anderson movie. Like I would love Mm -hmm. to do a comparison between sort of the visual density of this movie compared to the, say the Royal Tenenbaums. Right. Cause like I, in my mind, when I saw Tenenbaums, I was like, this is like, this is Wes Anderson, right? Like this Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. you know, highly composed, very like 90 degree angles, right? People looking directly into the camera, elaborate deep focus so that i can see everything in the background as clear as i can see everything in the foreground you know like all that stuff right Mm -hmm. but it's like i bet you if you were just like somehow like quantifying or counting like the number of details that were there for you to like absorb you'd be like oh there's like three times four times the number of details in in this movie in french dispatch versus a movie like tenenbaums you know no, t- totally. It, it, you know what it feels like to me? I don't know if this will resonate for you, but it feels like a, some sort of like royal banquet or something mm-hmm. where, you, where you show up and it's like there are so many different, you know, delicious little foods and treats and things to try. It's almost like there is no expectation that you're supposed to have everything, right? Right. It's almost like the point is there's just this complete abundance that you just get to feel. It's almost like, you know, in, in a setting like that, you could sort of enjoy whatever you choose to enjoy. And and adding to the experience is the knowledge that there's so many more things and I will never run out of things to try because there's just mm-hmm. far more to try than I can, you know, fit into whatever amount of time I have here. Yeah. The movie feels a bit like that. It's like, don't even worry about trying to take it all. There's just like way too much yeah. <laughs> going on for you to take it all in and enjoy that, right? right? Enjoy that feeling. Yeah. That there's no shortage. You can just look anywhere on the screen, pay attention to what any character in the frame is doing, you know, pay attention to any detail you want. None of it is, um, none of it is filler. It's just all beautiful. Right. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I might be speaking, I might be, might be talking it up a bit too much. It's like, you know, it still is a movie, right? It still is ultimately your, the thing that matters most is the characters and what's happening and, and so forth. But it was like, really delightfully put together i think and and it sounds like we're both agreeing po- possibly more so than any previous wes anderson film but i think he's but it's not surprising either because i think he's very much been moving more and more in right. that direction like if right. i think i think the 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 next movie after this one to me if you were to rank them uh, along this dimension of just how packed with all of these visual details and you know composed images and and moments, um, to me, the next in line would probably be Grand Budapest Hotel. So, mm-hmm. which is, I think, his second most recent or third most. I guess Isle of Dogs was the last one. Yeah, let's see. Isle of Dogs was the was the one prior to this one. Uh, Grand Budapest was prior to that in 2014. And yeah, yeah, Isle of Dogs is is also very much that way. So, I mean, I think his movies have just been sort of gradually getting that way more and more. Right. 
Um, it's you know I think that was absolutely there in his original movies, but like Bottle Rocket especially, and also Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums to a degree, like they have far less of. I think you're right. It's it's even though those were very composed at the time, if you compare them to these now, it feels like oh well, those are just sort of like you know <laughs> made in a garage or whatever right. you know by comparison. Right. Right. <laughs> well, it's like I think that's in some ways. Um, What's really delight? Like I agree. I think the word. It, it's funny. The word pleasure definitely enters into the equation for me. The same. You brought this up, where it's like mm-hmm. I don't know that there's anyone whose films just give me that sort of like aesthetic, visceral pleasure of just enjoying the craft of the thing that I'm watching in the same way. Um, there are there are people who are who definitely produce that feeling to a degree, but um, like unlike I you know we we talked last time about or maybe a couple episodes ago about sorry to bother you and how it was like full of ideas and but I think one of the things that's like distinguishes that movie from this one <laughs> aside from a million. Uh, a million reasons, but one of the <laughs> the, the one difference between yeah, French Dispatch one, and Sorry to Bother. One you. thing to sort of call out is that that movie sort of verbalizes all of its ideas. Like characters talk about the ideas that are going on in that mm-hmm. movie, right? I feel like Wes Anderson movies increasingly are packed with ideas or things that he cares about, but he does it ex- like completely in like the mise-en-scene like completely in just like what is presented on the screen and the characters Mm -hmm. aren't talking about any of this stuff they're not even Mm. like potentially aware of like the visual richness around them they're actually like you know like i feel like there's a particular style of acting that anderson gets out of his actors that is um you know a little bit melancholy and almost like uh, oh yeah, like dead sure. to the world a little bit, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there's like this interesting juxtaposition between the richness around them, and mm-hmm. you know, like them being sort of completely unimpressed or uninterested in all of that that's going on behind them, you know. Yeah, totally. I think that's the perfect word, melancholy. I don't think I ever would have you know, come up with that word. But as you said that, my mind just sort of like really rapidly scanned through a lot of the characters in this and other Wes Anderson films. And it's like, yeah, they're all a little sad. Right. <laughs> they're, the, the, well, especially oh, many of them, most of them are, are quite serious, right? Yes. Um, but there's a sadness kind of right underneath the surface of that very somber, serious... Um, Often, often, kind of austere, uh, you know, tone, if you want to call it that. Yeah, like um, does does anybody laugh in a Wes Anderson movie? Ever? Like, <laughs> I'm like, pretty sure I'm, Gene Hackman laughs a few times. Yeah, in Royal and Tenenbaums. Tenenbaums. That's right. But in this movie, like for example, like there's no you, there's no like really organic laughter. No. Yeah. Does any care? Do any of the characters find anything that's happening funny? You know what I mean? Like I don't think so. I can't. Recall. I don't think so either. Um, but that's sort of like 
something I that's sort of something that I love about his movies is that they are funny. These movies are definitely funny. Totally. Right? Totally. But the yeah. characters from from their point of view, it's like everything is sort of sad and serious and that's part of what makes the film work. Right? Um Yeah. So, but so go sorry, ahead. go ahead. You no, weren't you, done. Okay. No you <laughs> um I was going to say we should move on because um because you're kind of getting into themes. Well, actually, specifically, you talked about you know things he's trying to say that are not explicitly stated by any of the characters, and I just I was just very curious for you to give some you know maybe an example um, in this film of that happening. Well, I feel like I'm not equipped to have. Um, so I'm not a francophile, right? Like. I don't mm-hmm. love France like clearly in the way that this movie does, right? Like it's fundamentally about a newspaper man from Kansas who loves France so much that he convinces his, you know, wealthy ma- like newspaper tycoon father to like create a outpost for a Kansas mm-hmm. City newspaper in Paris, right? In ennui. <laughs> Right. Oh, and ennui, that's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Speaking of melancholy. Right, that's the name of the town. Um, and so, like, fundamentally, like, the, the setting of the film is about someone who, like, loves Paris or loves France and wants to be in France, right? Um, who, and so I feel like a lot of the music choices, fashion choices, like, the... Um, you know, just the the way that scenes are uh, furnished, like there's something like to me, uh, just like oozing Frenchness, like in all of these scenes. Uh, there and so I and but I'm not even equipped to like I don't love uh, France to the degree that certainly uh, Wes Anderson does. So I'm probably you know subliterate. You know, when it comes to like all of mm. the references that are being made, I just picked up like a few. You know, what I mean, the same way mm-hmm. I was like, this is so dense, I'm only getting 10% of what's being thrown down here. Like, I probably would need to watch the movie several more times to, and like do a bunch of Wikipedia ing to be like, oh, that's what that symbol means, or that's what that, you know, sign right. reads, or whatever. Right. Um, but that's, but uh, that was sort of what, what I noticed was just sort of like everything I did pick up was like this this vibe of like this is this is life in france yeah so okay so presumably i guess what you're saying is in this film a lot of the kind of underlying statements or messages that wes anderson was trying to get across were very france centric Mm -hmm. and perhaps might have gone over the heads of folks like you or me because i certainly didn't really pick up on a lot of you know the movie's point of view on France other than um, essentially, right, like the, uh, the like you said, the sort of general, um, what, appreciation, I guess you could say, for for the culture um, and, and, you know, that being the, the entire premise of the newspaper, certainly, of the French Dispatch. Um, yeah, you know, now that you mention it, I, one moment in the film I did kind of forget was I think they referenced, uh, they had a poster of like a French, I'm guessing it was a French singer <laughs> up on the wall. 
Yeah. And they had a quick exchange about that. And I was like, I don't know who that is. But they're yes. talking about him like he's very famous. Like so that's, I imagine it's a famous singer. Yeah. So that particular song uh, that that singer allegedly sings, that's a made up singer. Uh, oh, what's okay. the what's the name? Oh, I don't remember. But the um, but I believe it's a picture of Jarvis Cocker from Pulp, mm. and I believe he's the one singing the song in the movie, right? Oh, okay. So it's like that, that's just an example, but that's like one of those things where I was like, oh, this is them doing a homage to a particular French singer and song but using like one of the sort of stable members of the Wes Anderson company. Cause Cocker has been involved in more than one Anderson movie oh. at this point. And so it's like, like he's the one who does in fantastic Mr. Fox, like the campfire song. Like, Oh, okay. You know what I mean? And so it's I just didn't like, know that. Yeah. And so, um, that's just one of those things where it's like, Oh, here's Anderson collapsing like multiple things that he loves. He loves France. He loves this singer. He loves this song. He loves this. And, and so that's fine. And he loves this modern performer, right? And he loves the image of this performer. And so he's going to sort of munge all these things together into one poster and one jukebox song, right? And you're like, there's a lot of density of information about like all these things that Anderson loves, right? In like one song and one image, you know? And so I feel like there's probably. Mm-hmm a lot of that happening all the time in this movie. And I'm probably missing a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, almost certainly. Well, we already kind of covered <laughs> that. There's a lot we missed or, or sort of became aware we were missing, at least from a visual standpoint. I think similarly, especially when there are kind of messages or themes in the visuals, we're going to miss out on a lot of that stuff too. Um, but what about the stuff we didn't miss? What, uh, you know, there, there are three main stories here. Did you pick up like sort of any sort of through line as far as, you know, other than, other than loving France, um, anything, these stories we're trying to say together, either collectively or just individually. Uh, I feel like the, the sort of the character around which each of the stories orbits, I would say is Benicio del Toro's character in his segment. I would say it is uh, ultimately, I know um, like there's a journalist in each one of these stories, but I don't think any of these stories are about the journalist per se. Right. I think the journalist is Mm -hmm. the story that the journalist is writing is interested in something else. So uh, it's the artist Moses Rolenthaler in the story where Tilda Swinton plays the journalist in the um, story about the revolutionaries where Francis McDormand, it, Lucinda Cremens is a journalist. I think really like that story ultimately orbits around Zeffirelli, the Timothy Chalamet character. Right. Mm-hmm. And then in the Roebuck Wright story where Jeffrey Wright plays a journalist, I think really there's a lot going on in that story, but ultimately I think we're, we're interested in Nescafier, the police cook, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And all of those three characters that I just described are like um, sort of like deeply uh, free and like deeply excellent at something. 
right? And there's mm-hmm. this sort of awe that the characters around them have at somebody who could be so free, um, mm-hmm. which is like I, I know I re- I recognize it's a little bit crazy to call a pri- the Benicio del Toro character in his is literally a prisoner, right? But he oh, it's not crazy at all though. He's he's an artist who's essentially right unconcerned with any of the expectations placed on him he just wants to make art that he deems to be excellent right and struggles mightily with that right really sort of agonizes Mm -hmm. over how to do that um uh zeffirelli i mean just to sort of quote the way francis mcdormand's character describes zeffirelli she says um the kids did this, obliter- obliterated a thousand years of Republican authority in less than a fortnight. What do they want? Freedom. Full stop. Right? And it's mm-hmm. like, that is, and Zeffirelli is, is that, right? That is, that is what he represents to her, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then Nescafier, uh, as a chef, I think wh- what is so interesting about him is like, he is so mind-blowingly good at what he does that people are like, just let him do whatever he's going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like you show up, you bring your own (laughs) fork and knife. Right. And you just like wait for the music to start. Right. Because Mm -hmm. he's going to, he's going to blow your mind. Right. And there's some like Mm -hmm. deep, um, sort of respect and, um, like attraction to, these characters in these stories that like march to the beat of their own drum and just kind of do something excellent that is like comes from deep inside them. Right. And that's sort of the thing that I noticed about these three different films and, and, and sort of the macro, I think Bill Murray's character out Arthur Howitzer jr. The publisher of the French dispatch. He is another one of these types of people. Right. Um, Which is why I think all these writers are so loyal to him right because he sort of completely um without precedent created a magazine that is idiosyncratic and iconic and respected and beloved and there was no guide there was no roadmap that he followed to make that happen he just figured it out um and he treats them that way Right. Right. He, he is, uh, I think, I, I think this is essentially what you're saying or maybe slightly different, but, um, so it feels to me like, uh, if you kind of distill it down to its essence, it's sort of just like, let artists do achieve greatness, mm-hmm. right. Kind of leave them alone. Right. Especially yeah. geniuses, right. Let, let geniuses do their thing. Um, uh, and that certainly seems to be his approach to his writers, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, in particular, the three who write the main, the three main stories, Tilda Swinton, Jeffrey Wright, and, um, and, uh, Francis McDormand. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not your, your typical editor of, you know, slashing all of this stuff that, you know, and changing all these things. In fact, um, I think there is a one throwaway moment of him saying, I think you can remove this one paragraph, right? But but it seems like the most notable um, like 
uh, amendment he makes to any of the writer's pieces is telling Jeffrey Wright to put back in something right. <laughs> that Jeffrey Wright had removed. That he had thrown away, right? yeah. And he's like, that makes the yeah. whole piece, right? He's like the opposite of your typical editor. He's like, add more stuff to it. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, you're, I think you're right. I think that's a really good summation of what this movie's about. You know, I thought the, um, the IMDb synopsis called it a love letter, which felt very right to me. But it says, you know, a love letter to... To what did it say? Journalism or to journalists is um, what the synopsis to says. journalists. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a. I think, sort of in the same way, you know, I'm I'm getting kind of Ford v Ferrari vibes of uh-huh. of yeah. You know how that movie was like about like cars, but it's like it's not just about cars, right? right. It's really about the artist, and I th- I feel the same way about this one. It's really not just a love letter to journalists. It's right. a love letter to the really uninhibited uh, artistic mind, artistic person mm-hmm. pursuing the greatness that that they can sort of see in their heads that other people maybe can't see. Yeah. Right. And 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 really, a, it's it's a love letter to them, and it's a love letter to the idea of actually empowering those people, of of supporting those people mm-hmm. on their path. Right. Yeah. Because I think in most of these stories. Is this true in every one of them? They're not. They're not actually alone. Someone is supporting them. At least one person, right? Yeah. So in Benicio del Toro's case, he's got the prison guard who's very much helping him out, right? He's also got. He's also got what's his name? Adrian Brody's character who's kind of bankrolling him in a sense, yeah. right? Um, in uh, in in the chef's case, obviously he's employed by the by the police. What is it? The warden. Of, uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The uh, police, police chief, I guess. Police, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and Tim, Timothy Chalamet yeah. is in some ways supported by Francis McDormand's character. Right. right. Yep. Um, so yeah, and and all the writers are are supported by Bill Murray's character. So I think uh, yeah, I think this is a movie expressing kind of like a very deep admiration and and respect for those people as well as an appreciation for. For those who can support them, and almost like it, it reads to me almost like an an implicit plea to those in the world who do, you know, fund or produce artistic things to give the power to the creators. Right, and the and the idea being like, yes, it might be frustrating and maybe more expensive than you imagined, right? But like. Mm-hmm the results are sublime, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and why are we doing any of this if not <laughs> to have like that feeling, right? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting though that there's not really much, it's, it's, it feels very kind of pure in the sense that it's just, um, I feel like this film is just celebrating those things and not really contrasting it with anything. Like right. there's no, there's no opposing force in any of these stories or in the higher level narrative of someone trying to. I guess unless you count. I mean, in Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> in his case, it's like a you know, it's like a rebellion, right? right. So, um, but but there's not there's not really a character actively trying to prevent the artist character in any of these stories from, from doing 
from achieving their vision, right? Actually, I, I think Timothy Chalamet's character is the one counterexample because even within his own group, there are those who are sort of, you know, decrying his his manifesto or his right. uh, you know, his his leadership and and that kind of thing. Right. Um, but there's not. I guess I guess what I'm saying is there's not that like, you know. There's not that business person who's just going like trying to maximize profit, right? right? And sacrifice the art for commercial reasons well, in any of these sub stories. Well, there. Well, there is one that's potentially that, but I think it. Uh, the film does a great job of of sort of squaring the circle. Is the Adrian Brody character, right? Right. He's powerless. Um, I love <laughs> the problem. Loved that character because mm-hmm. he was. Um, he has very sort of cynical capitalistic reasons for bankrolling Rosenthaler, yeah. right? He's like, true. you know, we are, you know, this guy is worth like every single penny that we can put, pour into him because we're going to make that back a hundredfold, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just, I just, I just need to call out like the moment where uh, he shows up waiting for Rosenthaler's next piece. And Rosen and I think it's uh, uh, Simone who says like he needs another two weeks or what does she say? He's like he could use another year or something like that. No, I think I think he I think Benicio del Toro says that he needs I another could, year. I could use another year. And Brody is just the moment where he's like ah, and he's just like yeah. looking. At, just thought it was absolutely hilarious um yeah just raising but it's like but at the end when you after the painting has been shown Mm -hmm. and brody realizes that it's a fresco like it's painted onto the walls (laughs) and he cannot take it with him (laughs) yeah like and they get into a huge fight right right which is a wonderful wonderful fight um Mm -hmm. and then at the end they're embracing right and he's like you did Mm -hmm. something great it is great i can't i can't deny right right that this is fantastic and someday like we'll we'll like chisel out this wall and it will be and it will be art for the world to see Mm -hmm. and we'll just we're all just gonna have to wait right Yep. Like he yep. gets that, even though he's the bank, even though this is like financially a ruinous thing potentially for him, yeah. right? He still gets it, and so I just sort of loved that, yeah. right? Because it would be really easy to paint that character as—I mean, they do like as just a really cynical caricature. But at the end, like he's got a heart. At the end of all of it, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it 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 makes me just wonder if Wes Anderson has generally had pretty positive experiences with you know like the the producers on the more business side of things because because he he's he is a lovable it's sort of like yeah he's you know just a capitalist looking out to make money but he's he what he i guess in the end it's like what he doesn't do ultimately what he tries to do is just see okay here's a genius we can make a lot of money off this genius so we should give him money and mm-hmm. then we'll make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of like nothing really malicious in there, right? It's more, it's opportunistic. Right. 
but he but what he's not doing is trying to manipulate or or um influence the artist's work mm-hmm. he's just sort of waiting for the artist to produce the work and then yeah. yes he gets very mad when it's like wait this is something i can't actually sell mm-hmm. right um but but then like you said at the end he's sort of like ah what it is great though you know mm-hmm. i it's it's that sort of that is such a rosy colored you know version of of a person like that mm-hmm. um that yeah it it makes me think that wes anderson has probably been at least somewhat blessed in his career to you know maybe those are the kinds of execs and people that he has had to interact with who it's like he knows that ultimately what they want is just money right but he hasn't had to deal with a lot of this because you hear a lot right of in hollywood of directors whose movies just get cut to shreds or right complete like focus grouped to oblivion and that sounds very frustrating to me, but th- there was nothing like that, I guess, in the in the story or in any of the um, characters of this film. So, well, at the end of the day, I do feel like Brody's character comes out ahead, right? He's made whole because mm-hmm. Ma Clampett buys the fresco. She buys it, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And he's she the, pays an advance on it or or something, right? And, and so then it gets ends up getting what shipped <laughs> in a train or something. I can't actually. Oh, it's like an aircraft carrier, aircraft carrier, like a military, yeah. like an army plane or something like that, right? Um, and so, so it does get bought. So it does, and so like yeah, his reaction, like I can't sell this, right? Is um, you know, ultimately like erased because there's a there's a a patron who's like i'm willing to pay for it now and i'm willing Mm -hmm. to like wait for it until like i can get it right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and so i feel like in some ways like the the point you're making about you know as a parallel to wes anderson it's like ultimately people want to be in the wes anderson business right from a financial Mm -hmm. perspective because Mm -hmm. he's like look I'm going to, you know, build my little dollhouse movie. It's going to take me <laughs> 3 or 4 years to do, right? And when I do it, it will be really really good and you'll make your money back and you'll profit off of it, right? We'll all yeah. win, yeah. right? Like but yeah. you got to let me sort of do what I need to do to make this and, happen, yeah, and, right? And you're what you're getting at is maybe that last particular detail sort of like and you might need to be patient, right? Yeah. Yeah. It might not be profitable immediately, right? Yes. You gotta, but look, I'm going to get it. This this puppy's going to be in the Criterion collection, and <laughs> right, right. you're gonna you're gonna make money off the DVD sales or whatever it might be. You know who yeah. knows? But. He's like he's a known quantity. You know, like mm-hmm. and you know, are you gonna? Is he gonna crank out a movie every year? No, right? Is he going to? Um, are you going to make a billion dollars? Are you going to get like Avengers Endgame level box office off of him? Definitely not, right? But it's yeah. like, that's not what, you know what I mean? But it's like, but mm-hmm, it's for mm-hmm. somebody who's like, I can make a good living being in the Wes Anderson business, being in the Moses Rosenthaler business, right? Even if it's like a little frustrating sometimes and it takes a little longer than I want it to, it's still like yeah, a very satisfying way to make a living. For sure. 
let's talk about best parts of the movie. There's a lot of good stuff in this. Yeah. Do you want to, does anything sort of jump to the top of the list for you? Like what's one of your favorite things about this movie? Just to sort of put a, like, just to wrap it up in a bow. I just think Wes Anderson knows how to use Adrian Brody, like better than anybody Mm -hmm. else. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Like Adrian Brody in this movie, Adrian Brody in. Way better than Terrence Malick. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, like I love uh, in Grand Budapest Hotel. Right. Like, I just think Adrian Brody is like somehow like has not found his niche, has not found his tribe like in any other film lane that he's been in. And I've liked him in a a few things. Right. But like but Wes Anderson somehow gets and and Adrian Brody gets Wes Anderson. He's like, I know what you want Mm -hmm, me to do. mm -hmm. Right. Um, Oh, yeah. He's like deeply funny, deadpan. Right, extremely, he's like a very like elegant actor, you know, and he like brings mm-hmm. that sort of natural sort of sophistication to every role, like as like a slight condescension in his <laughs> way of like. I just loved the Julian Cadazio character. He's fast, yeah, ta- he's fast talking, cynical, funny, deadpan, exasperated. Just I liked so many things about him. Yeah, me too. I mean, but this this is a movie with, as we discussed, a million characters, and so many of them are good. Um, I thought Adrian Brody was great. I thought I thought Benicio del I thought Benicio del Toro and Leah Sadu, mm-hmm. um, this <laughs> this sort of dynamic between them, yeah, was quite good. Yeah, like starting with, I mean, the first you see them. I don't know about you. I didn't I didn't immediately realize what was going on. You know, she was obviously nude and he was painting her. Right. But then 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 it emerging not soon after that that she's actually a prison guard mm-hmm. and you know, and it's sort of like she's allowing him like the the power dynamic shifts very dramatically, right? Because it seems like oh, he's artist, she's, you know, she's muse. Mm-hmm. Uh and he's like he's he's acting so right confident mm-hmm. and then that little s- moment when she slaps him because he's mm-hmm. like going a little too far like painting her like trying different colors on her body right yeah um and suddenly she's back in prison guard clothes and and you're like oh oh okay i i see what this is now it's very yeah. different um but you know carried on to like the scene where he's wants to commit suicide and she gives that speech and she's like you know you're not going to do that. Um, and she, and she convinces him, you know, that he's going to, he's going to figure it out and he's going to make a beautiful masterpiece. And then, and then she's like, or you can just kill yourself. I can just flip the switch right now. And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was like a really great, it, it was a really great pair of characters for me. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I loved, I, I, I'll tell you another thing I really appreciated. Um, and this just comes down to pure, just like sumptuous visuals. Um, but as far as I know, this is the first time Wes Anderson has done this thing with these like still images where they're not actually still. The actors are just like holding the actors still, are, yeah. are, 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 are clearly not, you know, they're holding still and they even have 
you know, things in the air, like suspended in the air and stuff to make it look like like it's a photograph. Right. Exactly. But it's, but it's clearly being filmed and then the camera will sort of like move through these scenes. Yeah. Um, this movie has quite a few of those and I thought they were really well done and really just kind of delightful. It, it felt so like it added to it for me that you could tell that it wasn't actually still. Yeah. You know, Plenty of movies have have done that sort of thing. In fact, you know, I don't know what's the first movie to pioneer it was, but it's a pretty well known thing that you've that we've all seen where the camera freezes and then sort of moves through the frozen image, but it's clearly done with like computers and stuff. Yeah. Right. Whereas this one, it's just like no, it's just people staying still. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and every time it did that, I, I found it to be just a delightful little punctuation mark. Um, I just loved the visual inventiveness of it and the idea that, that the actors were holding still like, um, this is a bit of a, of a, of a divergence, but there's a scene in one of the X-Men movies. I remember where like professor Mm -hmm. Xavier freezes a ton of people Mm -hmm. and, and, and they look really frozen. And I remember, I don't know if I was listening to director's commentary or what, but, but I think Brian Singer said like that they got, most of the actors in that scene were mm-hmm. like professional mimes. Mm-hmm. They got, yeah. they got mimes who, who could hold themselves like exceptionally still to the point where the, I really can't tell that they're alive, right. right. Or that they're, they're breathing or anything. And I just love con- like, cause in that, in that, in that, whatever that X-Men movie was, it like, it does look like maybe they really were frozen. Whereas mm-hmm. in this one, you're like, they're not mimes. <laughs> they're just, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like you can see their like arms moving a little bit and, right. and like they're breathing or whatever. It's um, so yeah, that sort of living, that living breathing quality to me, like just added to the, you know, classic Wes Anderson quirkiness of it. Yeah. I loved um, uh, to speak about the style. There is a really um, early in the film, there is like a young bellhop or some kind of porter who is bringing like a drink order up to the editorial office at the French Dispatch. And he has to go through like a series of stairwells and doorways and like little mm-hmm. wick elevators and things. And it's a very like long journey that he takes. And it's funny and complicated as mm-hmm. lots of Wes Anderson things are. But it's very vertical, right? He has to go up, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like, mm-hmm. I felt like, that might have happened one or two times in the film. It's like, we just need to go up, right? And so I'm thinking about like the chase um, in the Nescafier uh, story, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like um, the criminal has like put the commissaire's son in the car. And there's just mm-hmm. like this animated chase sequence that happens, right? And the, the sort of verticality like the flattening of like, there's no depth. It's just like almost like a two dimensional straight up sort of experience. Like a 2d platformer. Right. Um, I really liked those little touches, um, in this movie. I felt like it's just a different style than Anderson has used that, than I, than I can recall him having used in the past. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. And so again, just another like delightful little style thing that he chose to do that I responded to. Yeah, I, I really liked that too. I, do, am I cr- wrong in thinking that Grand Budapest Hotel had something like that? Did it? I might not. I might be. It's funny. I love that movie, but I'm, I might be blanking on. 
on something well, like that. Well, I think it would, if, if it did, I, I will say it was probably less prominent. Um, but I seem to recall. Anyway, not important. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's I, I'm forgetting so much of it, uh, which is fine. I don't think it was meant to be memorable. It was meant to be delightful. Um, mm-hmm. But I really think that if you sort of, if I just were to rewatch this movie and s- just pause every five minutes, yeah, it, like every five minutes would be like something worth mentioning has happened again. Yeah, uh, just in, just in terms of style, in terms of visuals. Yeah, I think the movie's um, more difficult to hang on to everything in your mind because you know a traditional hour and a half movie. Um, frequently the stuff that happens at the end is in some ways a reference to the beginning or is in some ways like a callback to something you learned earlier. Right. And so like movies have a natural sort of structure to them that like the beginning reinforces the end and vice versa. And it helps you Mm -hmm. remember those things. Right. This Mm -hmm. movie, even though I'm sure, uh, I'm sure there's probably a lot of connective tissue between the different sections of it. They don't directly speak about one another in that way. There might be a lot of indirect or thematic things going on, perhaps. But, right. um, but I, I think, yeah, to your point, the movie isn't really built for you to like remember the details. It's really just meant to be an, a delight. To your point, a, a delightful experience more so than like a memorable one. That's what it feels like, right? I, I mean, I, I can't read Wes Anderson's mind or, or any of the right. actors' minds, but yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, the only the last thing I'd say as far as best parts of the movie, uh, which we already touched on, but I, I really loved Bill Murray's character. Mm-hmm. I found it to be, I don't know why I feel this. I, I don't know if this is true, it, but I feel like it's true that Bill Murray... Um, I feel like he seldom plays just like a genuine, really likable person anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe it's just, maybe it's selective memory. Like, but I think of him, I think of him as like, I'm sure he's a lovely person in real life. And he has played characters like that in the past. But I think of like modern day Bill Murray on screen as normally playing someone like either curmudgeonly or, or someone very like cold you know, mm-hmm. cold and sort of possibly even cruel, mm-hmm. um, often in a funny way. But in this one, he's very warm, right? Um, yeah. And that that I really liked. I mean, we sort of already talked about him, though. But I just, for, for me, he was definitely a highlight. Like, whereas a way a movie like this could have gone wrong would be where you have these three compelling stories, but then the sort of in-between stuff is just kind of like filler that you're like, you know, yeah, get to the next story. For me, it was very much those in-betweens of seeing him interacting with the writers were were equally enjoyable and actually were like a, just a really nice way to, to transition. Um, it, was, it was sort of like after they'd done it once, then after the next story, I was like looking forward to seeing him talk to the writer again, you know? Yeah, it's like I like that part. So yeah. to me, that was another uh, another highlight worth bringing up. Yeah, I, one of my favorite moments in the movie, and I think where I was most genuinely moved was the very very end, right? So the mm-hmm. so how it's when they're typing 
yeah, when they're typing how, his obituary. Yeah, when the writers are sort of taking a minute initially to just um, be sad, right, at the mm-hmm. loss of their their friend and coworker, and you know, there's a little bit of, um, I think it's Elizabeth Moss's character who maybe sheds a tear, right, mm-hmm. and then. Um, you know, there's like a, there's like the writing above the door, no crying. Right. (laughs) And so they're all like, nope, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have wanted us to do that. And they're like, what do we do? And like, oh, we will work together. We will collaborate on his obituary. Right. Yeah. And just like writers doing what writers do, right. To honor their friend felt like such a, such a nice such a uh, yeah just such a um a touching sort of perfect and simple way to end the film which is like you know this what else can we do right there's what mm-hmm. else is there to do but just commemorate the man the way that we do the way that we as a society do that which is to write the write the life you know Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I just sort of loved that moment because it allowed us to see all of our writers together along with the various bit pieces of supporting staff that are in place, like the editors and the, you know, the, you know, the copy yeah. editors. And so it was just like the, the cartoonist. Right. It was just like <laughs> great to see like all these people who together like we make a magazine. Right. It's what we do. Right. Like it was great to just see them all in the same room at the end and be like, let's just finish what we started. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I, I really liked the ending too. Um, <laughs> and you know, of course it almost seems pointless to even say, but, um, obviously it's not supposed to be realistic, but I did find right. the, I did find the, just the way that each writer sort of in a very organized fashion would sort of contribute the next sentence. I was like, that would be so amazing if anything could ever work like that. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, it's like when you script it, sure, it can work out like that. But um, you're right. The, 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 the idea of all of these writers kind of like collaborating so effectively on like a coherent, you know, yeah. sort of prose is like so preposterous, but, but very nice. Um, it sort of implies that howitzer is like this unifying force, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. That does feel like it's like obviously it's not realistic, but the fact that they're doing it in the world of the movie does very much convey this sense of almost like he has he has created this kind of family that are, are they know each other so well, they know what he, you know, what his sensibilities were so well that they're all equally able to kind of contribute to this almost singular voice kind of narrative. Right. Right. And, and it's not like, Oh, because, because that's how it would always work. It's more like, this is, this is what he has built. So I agree with you there. Um, yeah. Are there any things you would do to fix this movie? No, no. Um, I I can't, I mean, did my, like, I think in the first, again, like maybe 30 minutes or so, um, I hadn't totally figured out how to watch the movie, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. I think I was probably 
like angling for sort of more um, continuous themes. And I was sort of paying like probably almost like too close of attention to the film and like missing sort of Mm. like the emotion or missing sort of like the feeling you're supposed to have watching it. It's not, you know, a text Mm -hmm. that you have to read and understand every single, you know, word. Um, And so uh, it took, it took me a little while to sort of get into the, get into the groove of the film, but I think that's on me. You know what I mean? I don't think that's on the Mm. movie to like fix itself in some way. Um, And so, no, I don't, there's nothing I would, change i don't think well yeah i mean i don't know if i'd say it's on you but maybe it's i guess what it sounds like to me is that the nature of the movie is for for you or for someone in in your shoes who kind of like it took a minute to kind of get into the groove Mm -hmm. you know what it's just like well watch the movie again and you'll enjoy it from start to finish right right so it's like there's nothing wrong with the movie there's also nothing wrong with you for needing to sort of adjust to the movie on your first viewing, but you're going to be totally fine on your second viewing. And this is totally a movie you could watch multiple times. Yeah. I definitely think that, I mean, Wes Anderson movies in general sort of invite rewatch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, They're visually great to look at. The dialogue is very idiosyncratic and funny. The performances, um, are very distinct. And so they just sort of invite that type of viewing. Totally. And so I'm yeah. sure that, um, this is not the last time I will check out the French dispatch. So, so it sounds like we're landing on no, there's nothing really to fix. Cause I don't have anything. I, I, can't I wouldn't really think, do anything to fix it. I can't think of a useful suggestion, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's so specific. Like it, I, I feel like oftentimes our, um, when we get to fix the movie, the thing that I feel like you and I both sort of react to in a negative way is like carelessness, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's sort of like, why would you, like this was poorly thought through. This doesn't yeah, make when, sense. When, when it feels right? like they didn't put enough thought into something totally. right? And that is and not a problem that was what Sanderson right. has. There is never a moment in this movie where I was like, well, that wasn't like really well thought through. That didn't make mm-hmm. sense. Like, I, it's one of those things where it's like, if something doesn't make sense in a Wes Anderson movie, not that, not that I can think of an example of that, but like, if something didn't make sense, I'd be like, well, it was, it's here on purpose. I know it's yeah. here on purpose, right? Right. It's, it's, it's almost like it's so meticulous to the point that if there were something like a plot hole or like a, a continuity error or something like that, right? you would just assume, it's like, you would assume it was on purpose and then you would think that it was probably intended to be funny or or something like that, right? Right. Like 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 Wes Anderson would totally have a continuity error for humor's sake, right? right. And right. and it would be and it would be very noticeable and it would be and it would be noticeable in a way that made the moment like humorous, I feel. Right. Right. I mean, I, I don't feel like you and I ever rag on movies for things like continuity errors or, you know, the boom mic <laughs> oh, is in yeah. the shot. Well, it's know? because the section is called fix the movie. I feel like right. rarely would fixing a continuity error fix the whole movie. But, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but it's like, 
Yeah, I mean, because everything is so purposeful and like you you feel it in every frame, it's sort of like, what am I, you know, everything is here for a reason. Why I don't have a better reason, you know, to yeah, change anything. Yeah. yeah. So we don't need to fix this movie. It's nope. That doesn't mean every aspect of it is is the best it could possibly be, you know, for my for my exact tastes, but I think everything is the way Wes Anderson intended it. And right. it was very much enjoyable for both of us. Yeah. So, so, okay. Final question then beam it up or not. I feel like I knew the think? answer. I feel like I knew the answer coming into this conversation. And now I feel like I've talked myself into, into a, a different, different answer, into a different position. Um, <laughs> so I was going to say no, right mm -hmm. like it's you know to your point it's like it's a good movie it's a very good movie uh it's lesser anderson right probably not you know like so for comparison purposes i would say uh my favorite wes anderson movie is probably the grand budapest hotel it's a good um, one uh because i find that he is dealing with like a, a theme that really worked for me in a way that I feel like he um, is in a good way, sort of like relentless about and, mm -hmm. um, and it sort of, it just makes it, it really hammers it home in a way that, that mattered to me and, and worked for me. And this movie to my earlier point, sort of while I was able to find some, theming that seemed that worked for me and and my and my reading of it i sort of i don't feel like that was his primary interest you know what i mean mm -hmm. i feel like his primary interest was to just sort of be in this world right be in ennui and uh and tell these three interesting stories and he has just some natural thematic elements that probably just come out in mm -hmm. his work and in his writing um, and so, um, it didn't like, I wasn't sort of like bowled over by it in the way that like Budapest hotel, like bowled me over. And I think I sort of want that sort of depth of feeling in a movie that I'm going to say like, let's beam it up. I want, I want to, to sort of feel, um, like deeply over, almost like overwhelmed, you know, or like, and in this movie, I never felt that degree of emotion. I was like very, it was very pleasant the entire time. And I felt a lot of affection for it, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is like why we, why, like this is a reason to get up in the morning. And that's sort of, I feel like what we're generally talking about when we're beaming movies up, you know, for me. Anyway. Generally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, it, this movie is so close. It's like right on the edge for me. Yeah. Um, I think I, I just, it falls just ever so, ever so slightly towards, towards no for me as well. Mm -hmm. It doesn't quite feel like it quite cracks through that barrier of, I mean, to be clear, it does feel like it was one of the best films of the year to me. Like uh -huh. one of the, I'm not providing a number, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it was the strongest year, you know, for right. like great films. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I would probably say no. So we won't, we won't beam it up, 
but gosh darn it was close <laughs> yeah it's it's like if you divide the if you divide the past you know year into all the movies we will beam up and all the movies we won't i think french dispatch is going to be right towards the top of the list of the movies we didn't yeah if not at the top yeah this me, is an anyway. interesting question you've raised because i think i i think i totally agree with everything you just said like it probably falls shy of that of that beam up status uh and yet it probably like if one if i just started stack ranking you know all the movies i saw from 2021 mm -hmm. uh it would be like french huh, dispatch is up there look yeah. at the french dispatch like near the top <laughs> of the list yeah yeah but anyway it, it, regardless we both agree really really good movie um i feel like I should. I feel like duty bound to mention. Were there any major actors we didn't mention at all that we should that were in this movie? Uh, Harry Wink see. Henry Winkler was in this movie. <laughs> Edward Norton is in this movie. Willem Dafoe is Norton. in this movie. Liv Schreiber, That's right? Sorcha Ronan, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz is in such a small role. <laughs> I know. Schwar Jason Schwartzman's in expected. it. That's Rupert true. Friend, Bob Balaban, Angelica Houston is the narrator, right? Like, oh, I don't think I even realized that. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's you know the classic murderers row of excellent actors just doing right. anything in a Wes Anderson movie. That's right. Well, yeah, totally, totally packed cast. Ridiculous embarrassment of riches with the cast. Right. I think uh, Wes Anderson clearly has many people who who love working with him and uh at a certain point it feels like he's just flaunting it <laughs> <laughs> um but uh but anyway yeah so there you have it pretty pretty star-studded uh a really good movie just fell short of us beaming it up but we both really liked it and you know for those of you again on earth with easy access to a film like this i think you can rent it on Pretty much all the digital, you know, streaming platforms now. Yep. Anywhere you can rent movies digitally, I should say. Um, we, I would recommend it. Yeah, Go for highly it. recommend. Yep. Check it out. You won't regret it as long as you don't hate Wes Anderson. If you hate Wes Anderson, then you will not like this movie. Because it's the most him there is. That's right. Right. That's right. All right. Well, that'll do it. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Dan. I'm Adam. Good night. Bye. Bye.